I want you to key in on that statement, home is wherever God is. I want you to hold on to that. I want to come back to that. I want us to think a little more deeply about that in just a moment. You, you, on the video, thanks to Gabe and our Danny and our media team, you got a little glimpse into some of my family's Christmas traditions. In a few days, my family will jump in a car and, I don't know, we'll log a couple thousand miles trying to um, journey to all of our extended families and honor the traditions that are among those families. And I know from pastoring for 23 years, having been in small groups with other young couples or uh, having had counseling sessions or just talking, just small talk with other young married couples and young families, that this time of year can be one of the most stressful times of your year. Not just financial stresses, but it's the pressure of trying to balance your own life and your own family and starting your own traditions with trying to honor the traditions of your parents or your grandparents or your extended family. And you can feel pulled on both sides. You got her family and you got his family and you got your parents and your grandparents. And for those of us that have steps and, and uh, stepdads and step, I mean, you got all of this stuff mixed together. And without fail, as young families, you often can't go a year without disappointing somebody or somebody's feelings get hurt because you didn't show up on the right time or the right day or you didn't stay long enough. Or if you stayed long enough, you didn't Act like you were engaged. You weren't all there. And, and I, I've had all of these stories. I've heard them. I've heard people talk about them. The small talk, the shop talk with young families are these conversations about these pressures. Why the pressure? Why is your mom or grandma or whoever it may be in your family so upset when you don't uphold those Christmas traditions in your family? And I'm going to give you my answer. It's my opinion. It's why I think there's pressure and why I think their hearts are so shattered when you are not able to uphold those traditions. And my belief, personally, that it's because it's where their heart finds some semblance of home. It scratches the itch. If even for a moment, it scratches the longing in their hearts for home. We've said all month long in this sermon series that this series is less about home and more about homesickness. The homesickness or the longing in every human heart for its true home. The sense that we don't belong in this world, that our hearts are yearning for something that this world cannot satisfy. Our hearts are longing for a love that will last, for relationships that will last. And yet we know that even the most meaningful relationships that we have with the people that we love the dearest are going to come to an end. Every one of us is going to come to the end of life as we know it. Things are wearing down. Things are running out. And our hearts and our minds, logically, we know that. And our hearts are wanting something that lasts forever. We want something that can be sustained forever. We want relationships where people don't die. We want relationships where things don't wear out, they don't break. We want a world that doesn't exist anymore and our heart is yearning for a home that is our true home, the home that we were created for. You were created to live and exist in close relationship with God. You were created for His glory. You were created for His presence. You were created for Eden. That's what God originally designed. But since Eden has been lost through sin and we've been separated in our intimate relationship with God, our hearts as a race have been searching for home ever since. And one of the ways we temporarily respond to the homesickness of our hearts is we begin to nest. We try to make this world be as much 
home as it possibly can. Even though we know, followers of Jesus, we know this world is not our home. We know that we are here temporarily and we're going to heaven as a Christ follower. We know that. And yet we do everything we can to nest. We do everything we can to make this world feel like as much home as we possibly can. And I believe that's why your mom is so heartbroken when you don't meet her expectations at Christmas. Because these nostalgic things, these traditions are the nesting that our hearts as human beings have done to try to find some semblance of what our heart longs for and that nostalgia and that stuff at Christmas is the closest thing on earth that we will ever find that reminds our heart of anything like home. And when those expectations are not met and when those traditions are not broken, our heart's search for home is shattered. I think C.S. Lewis understood this When he wrote these words, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. And if that's so, I must take care on one hand never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, but on the other hand, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a copy, an echo, or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true home. Nostalgia, tradition, chestnuts roasting over an open fire, all of that's important. Foster the traditions. Remember fondly the nostalgic things of the past. Keep them. Honor them within reason. But keep them in their place. Understand their limitations. They will never be able to permanently satisfy your heart's longing for home. There was a movie in the 80s that was a well-known movie. It's become more popular of late because it's been revived from a movie to a show on Broadway. Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. and Vanessa Williams are two of the actors that are well-known that headline the Broadway show. The movie was entitled The Trip to Bountiful. It starred Geraldine Page. And Paige played a widow who was very unhappy with life. And she gets this idea that if she can get back to where she was raised, if she can go back to the small town called Bountiful, it was a little Texas farm town on the Gulf Coast, if she could just get back to where she was raised, her childhood home, that she would regain her strength, she would regain her dignity, she would regain her happiness. But then when she gets there, She finds that everyone that she has ever known is dead. And then when she gets back to the house that she grew up in, it's in shambles. The house is crumbled and it's falling apart. And if you go back to the places that you have these incredibly fond memories of, you'll notice that it's not just the things that have changed the houses and the place. It's not just that the house is falling apart. It's, you won't just be saddened by the fact that somebody's built a shopping mall in the little wooded lot where you used to play. Yes, those things will kind of make you sad. But the real homesickness in your heart comes when you go back to that place and you realize it isn't just the parts that have changed. When you realize your memories of that place are grander than they ever really were. You ever been somewhere, you know, as a kid and then you leave it 
and you haven't been back there all of your adult life and then one day you decide you go back to visit a place that you haven't seen since you were a child and you're underwhelmed at how small, I mean, your memory, this thing, this building was huge, this house was huge, this yard was huge, and then you go back there and you go, this is small. Yeah, you've changed, you were small, it was big, but you go back there and over the years, nostalgia, your memory has the ability to make the past seem better than it was. When you go back to those places, nostalgia has a way of making things better than they actually were. The reality is the good old days probably weren't much better than today, but we have a way of romanticizing the past. So in other words, the home that you remember probably never existed. The fact that we have the ability, in our, the, 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 the fact that our hearts have the ability to romanticize our memories like Geraldine Page, if I can just get back to where I was raised, and then we finally go back there and realize it didn't live up to our expectations. You know why we do that? You know why our mind plays that trick on us? Do you know why nostalgia happens to us and romanticizes the past and makes yesterday so much better than the world we're living in today? It's because our heart is longing for something that this world cannot satisfy. That nostalgia, that romanticizing of the past is further proof that our heart is looking for this world to be something that it can't. Our world, we're putting, we're putting pressure on a world that cannot satisfy the deepest needs of the human heart. Home is what our heart remembers and what our heart is longing for is a face-to-face encounter with God. Our heart is longing to be in the presence of God. Our heart is crying out for Eden, but because we can't get to Eden, We romanticize the past, we nest, we build traditions, and we put all of our hope in those traditions or all of our hope in those relationships, but those things are not our home. Psalm 190 tells us where our home, Psalm 90 and 1 tells us where our home is. O Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. God is the home we're missing. God is the home that we somehow remember. Eden, the face of God, walking with Him in the cool of the day. And the fact that our heart wants it and we can't get there, that dissatisfaction shapes everything we do as a human race. So let me challenge you on Christmas Sunday to avoid the naivety. Don't mask your profound sense of homelessness by thinking that if you can just build a great family or if you can just build a beautiful home or if you can just make enough money to buy that vacation home or if you can experience enough success, if all of that happens the way you dream and if it all works out, then all of that stuff, all of those things will satisfy the homesickness of your heart. Don't be that naive. It won't. Those things cannot bear the weight of your soul. It won't work. Houses crumble careers crumble even meaningful relationships don't last forever we all have an appointment with death and it's not just the house it's our family and we put the weight thinking those things are our home but those things cannot bear the weight that we place on them they can never fully satisfy think about a park with me I mean I've been to New York City I love parks and metropolitan areas because they're so contrasting from the environment around them Especially Central Park in New York. You, you go to stand on the Empire State Building and you look throughout the massive concrete and asphalt jungle of New York City. Thousands of people, thousands of buildings and skyscrapers. And right in the middle is this plush, beautiful green park. And it looks so small from the top of the Empire State Building. 
But you go down and get in Central Park, and all of a sudden you get lost in it. You almost forget that you're in an asphalt jungle. You think you're out in some remote hillside somewhere. And as as beautiful as Central Park is, it was a place that was made to be visited. It wasn't a place made to be lived in. If you try to live in Central Park, you're going to ruin it. Think about the Occupy Wall Street movements that inhabited all of the malls like the mall in in Washington, D.C. and the parks and and Central Park and other places where people moved into and they put up tents and the Occupy Wall Street movement began to live in a place that wasn't meant to be lived in. The reports were they became foul. It became a cesspool. It was full of waste. And, And this place that was beautiful and would remain beautiful and serve its purpose if only visited began to be destroyed when the whole weight of human existence was placed on it. They were made to be visited. They were not made to be lived in. And I hope that you can see the metaphor. Look at your houses. Look at your career. Look at your friends. Look at your family. They are wonderful, but they cannot bear the full weight of your soul. They are not home. And until you recognize that, until you understand that a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, until you understand that being embraced in the presence of God is the only way your heart will ever forever be satisfied, then you will be, if you don't get that, if you don't understand that, you will always be searching and never finding. You will always be traveling and never arriving. It will always be winter and never Christmas. Your true home is in His presence and you are not home until you're in the presence of God. And I know we will never fully be home until we get into His presence in heaven. But Christmas is God's answer to our epidemic, our dilemma. We're not in Eden anymore, and I can't go back. The full revelation of God's presence where my heart really wants to be in heaven, I can't get there either. So what am I supposed to do now? God's answer to the cry, to the homesickness of the human heart is Christmas. Christmas is the answer to our longing for home. He sent His Son to be in exile so we could come home. Jesus was cast out so that we could be brought in. He left the splendor of heaven for a despised manger so He could identify with our hurts and our pain and provide a way for us to get home. We, could get, we couldn't get to Him, so God came to us. That's Christmas. I began a moment ago with this statement. Home is wherever God is. And I know you could say, well, Pastor, God is everywhere. And you're correct. God is everywhere all the time. He is omnipresent. But when I speak of home being where God is, I'm referring to the manifest presence of God. And the manifest presence of God is the visible or tangible or felt presence of God. It's the presence of God you are aware of. Okay, So God is everywhere all the time. But there are moments in your life when you are more aware that God is there than at other times in your life. And I'm referring to the manifest presence of God. Home is wherever the manifest presence of God is. You will never be home until you are in the manifest presence of God. That's why Eden was home. That's why heaven will be home home. And so what did God do? He brought the manifest presence of God and manifested His presence in the flesh through His Son, Jesus Christ. When I was preparing for this sermon series, I I read a book called The Longing for Home. There's not a whole lot of people that have written about what I've been preaching on this month. And so I unearthed this book by Frederick Buechner called The Longing for Home. And Buechner's a brilliant man, a great writer. 
And, uh, but as a young man, he was kind of conflicted between his ability to write and as a follower of Jesus, the thought that maybe God was calling him into the ministry. And when he was a young man, Buchner, uh, it was Christmas. He lived in a big metropolitan city, and he went to a church pastored by a guy named George Butrick. And it was a December Christmas Sunday just like this, and uh, Frederick Buchner, and this is an excerpt from the book, he says, I, I go and I sit in the back of the church that Sunday, and let me, let me read to you uh, what he says. He said, it was the end of December that George Butrick said something in a sermon that has stayed with me. He said on that previous Sunday, he was leaving the church to go back to the apartment where he lived. He happened to overhear somebody out on the church steps asking someone else, are you going home for Christmas? And I could almost see Butrick with his glasses glittering in the lectern light as he peered out at all those people listening to him in that large, dim sanctuary, and he asked it again, are you going home for Christmas? And asked it in some sort of way that brought tears to my eyes and made it almost unnecessary to move on to the answer of his question, which was that home, finally, in the end, is the manger in Bethlehem, the place where at midnight even oxen kneel. Home is where Christ is. That's what Butrick said that winter morning. And the next autumn, I found myself, to my great surprise, putting aside whatever career I thought I might have as a writer and going to Union Seminary instead, at least partly because of the tears that kept coming to my eyes. I don't believe that I consciously thought that home was what I was going there in search of, but I believe that is the truth of it. Home is where Christ is. You're not home yet, but you can make room in your heart for Jesus now. Christmas message is that He will come to you wherever you are. He broke in once 2,000 years ago. He's going to break in again in His second advent. And the good news is the incarnation, the coming of Christ to the heart of humanity happens every day. It's happened all day long at North Place today as men and women who have visited our church for Christmas Sunday have invited Jesus into their lives. They have made room in their hearts for Him to come in, to be embraced by the manifest presence of God. I know He will come to you. If you make room for Jesus, He will come. All month long, all month, we've been focused on what home looks like for us. You know, what is home for us? And more or less, what is home not? And we've been going through all of the things this month about what we try to do and what we try to find in our search for home, but it's all been about home for us. Well, look on the flip side of that. What is home for God? You say, well, pastor, I mean, God is everywhere all the time. Can't anywhere be his home? Well, if everywhere is home, then nowhere is home. So where is that special place What spot in the universe, what place in the world satisfies the heart of God the most? The Bible tells us in so many ways, in so many places, but I read one of them last week in Revelation 21 when I was talking about heaven, and I think the emphasis was so much on heaven that we skipped over and forgot the statement where the Bible tells us the one place that satisfies the heart of God most. If God had a home This place would be it, Revelation 21, 3. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with Him. That's where home is for God. And, and, and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. I know that's a look into heaven, but it reveals where God's heart is the most satisfied when He is dwelling with or among His people. That's why He created Adam and Eve. That's why there was a garden. That's why there is a planet Earth. Because God's heart was so full of love that He could not keep it to Himself. He wanted to share it with somebody. But Adam and Eve messed up that relationship relationship with sin. And God's passion to be with us was so strong, He didn't give up. He kept pursuing us. He told them to build a tabernacle. And in the middle of the wilderness, in a tabernacle, the manifest presence of God showed up in that tabernacle. Years later, He told them to build a temple, a permanent structure. And the manifest presence of God filled that temple so that the weight of God's presence was so strong, they could not stand up under the weight of His glory. That worked for a long time until he decided to send his son. He wanted to be with us so badly that a temple wasn't good enough. An occasional manifestation of his presence wasn't good enough. He wanted to come live with us. He wanted to do life with us. He wanted to understand us. He wanted to know what it was like to cry. He wanted to know what it was like to be hungry and tired and live with a broken heart. And so God sent his son. He bankrupted heaven, wrapped his son in human flesh so he could identify with us. God's most satisfying place is to dwell with us. He is passionate about being in relationship with you. That's why there's a Christmas. On that first Christmas, Jesus cradled his head and dwelt where the sheep were. And today he still finds his greatest comfort Where his sheep are. His heart is most fulfilled when he is with his people in his manifest presence in your life. So you know what I challenge you to do? Make room for the presence of God in your life. You say, oh, pastor, you don't don't get it. If you knew me like God knows me, you know, I'm empty. I'm broken, I'm dirty, I'm this, I'm that. And if you could see in my heart the way God sees in my heart, you would know that the God of the Bible does not want to hang out with somebody like me. If you believe that, you have bought into a warped view of God that religion peddles. Religion says you've got to live up to God's standard before He will notice you. You've got to tidy your life up. You've got to get rid of the stench. You've got to be clean. It can't, you've got to fix yourself all up. And when you get it all in line and you get yourself presentable enough, then God will start paying attention to you. But not until. That is the lie of religion. If you look at the Scripture and you get the revelation of God, a revelation given to us in the Christmas story and all throughout the Scripture, you find 
kind of God that comes into messy places, dirty places, stinky places. He came into a jacked up world the first time. He's going to return to a jacked up world the next time. And he's been coming into messed up, broken lives ever since. And I don't care how empty and void and dark and broken and stinky the shameful secret parts of your life are. It is an inviting place for God to come. He wants to dwell with you so badly. He will take up residence in every dysfunction in your life. That's the message of Christmas. Listen, he didn't come with the parade and a royal fanfare. He wasn't born into the world of the elite. He was the son of a peasant woman who gave birth to him in a barn. He goes wherever people make room for him. And he goes into the empty places, the broken places. He comes to the places and to the lives that nobody else wants to go. He comes to the tarnished places, the dirty places. You are not too messed up for him to Make his home in your heart. So stop on this Christmas Sunday. Push pause for a moment. In the middle of your sin, in the middle of your addiction, in the middle of success or the middle of failure, in the middle of your busyness, make room for him. I get this image when I thought about all week long about making room for Jesus. This young girl who has just given birth to the Son of God. He is a newborn. She has just come through the pains of labor. She is wrapped in swaddling cloth. She is in a barn. His only cradle is an animal's feed trough. We call it a manger. And as she holds him in one arm, she begins to push the hay back on all sides in order to make a place to cradle him. And she lays him. She makes room for him. And when I'm thinking about this today, I'm I'm just, just in the middle of the mess, just in the middle of the mess, just stop for a moment and clear out a little place for him to come. Just stop for a moment in the middle of your success and your busyness in your life or your failure, your sin, whatever the dysfunction in your life may be, just stop. You don't have to mind the mess. Don't mind the stench. Don't tidy up your life. Just make room. He'll come. I promise. He'll come. And when he does... He'll worry about the mess in its time. You can't change somebody's internal life from outside pressure. But when you make room for God, the God that's been changing lives for thousands of years on this earth, one person at a time, if you make room for Him and let Him come in the middle of your mess, His grace and His goodness will begin to transform you from the inside out. And you say, but pastor... You don't know how messed up I am. If you'll make room for Jesus, I say, welcome to a family of messed up people. You're among good company. If somebody in this church is walking around with their nose stuck so far up in the air, they would drown if it rained. They're probably a visitor. This is a place where broken people know they are broken. And we welcome other broken people on the journey with us. Some of us are a little further down the road. He has changed a little more of our lives. But we didn't start out that way. He meets you where you are. And then he transforms you into what you can be through no effort of your own. Just 
make room. He's not waiting on you to get it together. He's not waiting on you to look like a church-going person. He's not waiting on you to act the part. He's just waiting on you to make room. Mary made room in her life for the unexplainable when it didn't make sense. I mean, you're a teenage girl. You get this vision that you're going to have a baby while you're a virgin, never know a man, and the baby's going to be the Son of God. Somewhere along the way, that just doesn't line up. But Mary made room when it didn't make sense. Joseph had a conversation. His wife-to-be, his fiance, is pregnant. And she says, God is the Father. That's a hard line to swallow. But once he was visited by a voice from heaven, Joseph made room when he didn't understand. The blue-collar shepherds made room in their work day. These aren't wealthy men. Every hour matters for them. They're blue-collar people. They work hard for a living. And yet they paused the, the, the clock. They paused the, the moment and they, they made way to worship the Messiah. They made room in their day. On the other side of that, the wealthy magi had enough stuff in their journey to keep them so preoccupied. Pride could have kept them so busy. They didn't need to come and bow. But they were humble enough and aware enough that their wealth and their stuff didn't keep them from making room for the Messiah. Our hearts, just like their hearts, were longing for a home and they found the home at the manger in Bethlehem. Home is wherever the manifest presence of Christ is. But sadly, for too many of us, the idea of being at home for Christmas is only a dream. Be home for Christmas if only in my dream. You can be home this Christmas and it doesn't have to be a dream. I don't have the glasses and the lectern light. I lean over the pulpit today and ask you this question that Frederick Buechner heard the pastor ask back when TV was still black and white. Will you come home this Christmas? Not go home, but will you come home? Your heart is searching for something that's going to last. The only thing that will ever last. The only thing that will ever satisfy is the manifest presence of God. And if you'll make room today, Jesus will come to you just like He came to a stable. Isaiah, you read through Isaiah, things weren't going so well. 
world was falling apart. And Isaiah in Isaiah 64 looked up to God and he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. If I could get in a time machine and go back thousands of years and tap Isaiah on the shoulder, he does, Isaiah. He, he does. He answered your prayer. Maybe not in the way you were thinking. Maybe he didn't think it was going to be a baby in manger and he was going to come humbly with no fanfare. But he came. He rent the heavens and he came down so that he could be one of us and show us the way home. Home is wherever he is. He came. And he still comes wherever you make So if you're a believer today and Christmas chaos has got you disconnected, family dysfunction and arguments and offenses and just life, junk at work and all the stuff that happens and prayer isn't intimate and the word doesn't speak to your life anymore, stop. Push pause. This is when God breaks in. Stop. Let him reawaken his affections in your heart. Push the hay back and say, okay, God. I know better than this. I'm going to stop. Come here. Come into my heart. You let my heart be your dwelling place. It satisfies me the most. It satisfies you the most. Just come. And according to Revelation 21.3, then you'll both be home. Because that's where you both have a desire to dwell with each other. If you don't know Jesus, your heart has wandered far from Him today. I wrote a prayer that I want to pray with you. We're going to put it on the screen. It's called a coming home prayer. I'm going to read it, pray it out loud as I read it. And I want you to pray it in your heart. If you want to, if you want to make room for Jesus today, don't mind the junk. Don't mind the stuff. Don't, don't worry about tidying it all up. Just invite him into the mess. And just watch what happens. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this and pray it. It's not magic. A thousand people could read this prayer and if they don't believe it in their heart, they don't humbly want it in their life, they're not asking for it, just words on a page. But if there's somebody in this room who with the hunger in their heart to know God, to want to be in relationship with Him, in faith prays this prayer and invites Him in, you are one prayer away from being at home for Christmas. I'm going to pray it out loud. I want you to pray it in your heart. Dear God, thank you for your goodness to me. Thank you for loving me and caring about every detail of my life. Thank you for sharing my pain. Most of all, thank you for sending Jesus at Christmas to save me. I believe he died on the cross for me and I want to receive him as my Savior. Please forgive my sins and accept me into your family. I want to learn to love you and trust you and follow you for the rest of my life on earth. Then I want to join you in heaven forever. Amen. Now, Lord, I pray, whether somebody's watching online or sitting in this service today, 
that with faith and a humble heart cried out to you in that moment and said, God, make my heart your home. Come in, break in, take up residence in me, Jesus. I pray that you will transform their life. I know it's a mess now, but I know through your grace, I know through your work, if they'll just make room from the inside out, you will change them. And let eternity on this Christmas Sunday reveal the fruit of hearts being satisfied by being home for Christmas. And it's not a dream. Change us all, Lord, from the inside out. In Jesus' name.